Allison's story um, came out on, I believe it was a Wednesday morning, and it hit pretty early. So around 7 a.m., my phone started blowing up from uh, other women who serve in the state Senate um, who saw the story and were floored by how she was treated, that, you know, effectively it was kind of a, a gang rape joke made at this young reporter. What I've really loved about the last few years is the wide understanding and the encouragement to, to let's help each other, let's amplify voices. The days of wink wink sexual harassment need to be over. Our daughters deserve so much better and so do our sons. Hi everyone, welcome to Powering Up, our cross-generational conversation about leadership, power, and gender. I'm Ann Doyle, author of Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. And I'm Monica Doyle. Um, I bring sort of a different voice to this podcast to give you a little bit of perspective. Generational, Generational voice as well. Many, many different perspectives. <laughs> uh, you know, Monica, as you know, I have been on the front lines for decades of women's fight for equality, and that covers so many issues, which is why we need the Equal Rights Amendment. But today, we're going to talk about sexual harassment and the issues, attitudes, and behavior that really has led to the Me Too and Time's Up movements. Movements that uh, my generation of millennials has been definitely taking a big leading role in. Uh, we just had a powerful example here in the state of Michigan about the fact uh, that younger women are not as willing to tolerate uh, this kind of um, boys will be boys culture as previous generations have sort of had to. And oh, are we going to talk about that? And we have two outstanding guests to talk with us who are in the studio. But first, let me explain a little bit about what just happened in Michigan. So in January, Allison Donahue, a 22-year-old reporter covering the state legislature, was waiting to interview Senator Pete Lucido, who's one of the leaders up in the Michigan Senate. And at the time, he was surrounded by a large group of high school boys. And Lucido says to Donahue in front of all of them, hey, you could have a lot of fun with these boys, or they could have a lot of fun with you. And the boys laughed, and Donahue didn't. So she not, not only told him that was an inappropriate way to talk to her, he wouldn't talk to a male reporter that way, she also used the power of her pen and her voice to write about it. And she did it with the full support of her editor. So not only did that lead to a bit of a media storm that, that went national, um, and the opening of an investigation, it also led to several more women filing sexual harassment complaints about Senator Lucido's behavior. And one of those women is uh, State Senator Mallory McMorrow, um, and she is with us today in the studio, as well as uh, a journalist who covered this story. Senator McMorrow is serving in her first term in the Michigan Senate. She is a graduate of the University of Notre Dame with a degree in industrial design and gained more than a decade of experience in product design, media, and advertising before running for elected office. Welcome, Senator. Thank you so much for having me. And Detroit Free Press journalist Julie Hines um, is a veteran journalist who covers TV, movies, the arts, and the intersection of pop culture with politics and gender equity. Also a graduate of the University of Michigan. And welcome, Julie. 
Thank you. Let's start with you, uh, Senator McMorrow. Um, tell us first about what happened uh, with you and your experience with Senator Lucido. Yeah, so Allison's story um, came out on, I believe it was a Wednesday morning, and it hit pretty early. So around 7 a.m., my phone started blowing up from uh, other women who serve in the state Senate um, who saw the story and were floored by how she was treated, that you know, effectively it was kind of a, a gang rape joke made at this young reporter, and that she was brave enough to write that as her story. Um, those of us who serve in, in the Senate, uh, particularly the women, we're trying to figure out what to do with it. How can we get together? How can we support her? Um, because you know we, we feel a level of responsibility for anybody who is in the Capitol, who's in the Senate chambers. Um, and, and that's what we decided to do. So I actually called Allison um, that day and asked her um, about how she was feeling and how she was doing. And I told her, you know, off the record and very privately at the time, um, that I had had my own run-in with, with Senator Lucido um, and thanked her and apologized for, for not having said anything. And at that time, I wasn't planning on going public or filing a report, but I wanted her to know that I believed her. Um, over the course of the week, originally, Senator Lucido did not deny what he said to her. He came out and said, yep, that, that is what I said to her. Uh, then there was a very non-apology apology that he posted on Twitter, effectively saying, I'm sorry that you were offended. Um, and then <laughs> oh, by the yeah. end of the week, as the story yeah, got, got bigger and bigger and it went international, you know, it was all over the place. There was a, a report that he gave or an interview to Fox 2 where he said... It doesn't matter what I said. She's a journalist. She has an ulterior motive, and she was going to hear what she wants to hear. Wow. And that made my decision for me, right? You know, I knew that that I had a story that could support her, mm -hmm. that could back her up. Um, so I knew I had to do something. So I filed. You couldn't allow that spin out there. No, absolutely not. And and. You know, I remember being in my first job at 22, and I started in the auto industry. I was a car designer, so I am built a career being surrounded by men, and, and it's not okay. It's not okay to set that example. So I knew I could back her up, so I filed a report um, with the Senate Business Office and, and went public myself and talked about it, um, first in Cranes with Chad Livengood, um, and then it went uh, – national and international as well so it, it, it blew up yeah um and you know my incident had happened during new senator orientation so it was actually just a couple of days after the election i had come off of running an election for a year and a half uh so i was really tired but i was really excited to meet all of my new colleagues so we met um in one of the senate committee rooms in lansing this is the first time i had ever met all of the people that I was going to be working with moving mm -hmm. forward. Um, and we actually had sexual harassment training that day, um, mm -hmm. ironically enough. And, mm -hmm. and I met Senator Lacido and, and he proceeded to put his hand on my lower back, kind of around my hip, um, very kind of upper rear area, and just held it mm -hmm. while he looked me up and down. And, and we had a conversation. And, you know, it was kind of a back and forth of where are you from? I said Royal Oak. He asked, oh, well, who did you run against? And I, I said, my opponent that I had beaten. And he kind of just looked me up and down at my body and said, I can see why. Wow. And, you know, it was something I, I, I didn't 
reported at the time, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about exactly why, but um, I knew that I had that, and I found out uh, when talking to some of the other Senate Democratic women that week, you know, I mentioned that this happened, and Senator Rosemary Bayer said, I remember that. Mm. I saw his hand. So mm. I knew at that moment that I had corroboration, yes. and it wasn't just going to be a he said, she yes, said. Yes, right. Well, um, and so this is actually a subject that um, I think needs a lot more discussing because men in particular seem to be flummoxed by it. Can you expand more on why um, you didn't come forward immediately um, and talk about it? Because that has definitely been a big issue that I think deserves a lot more exploration. Sure. And I will say, you know, I never read the comments on mm-hmm. social media, right? Oh but, you know, in, in <laughs> the wake of my story going public, it wasn't just men who were asking me this. It was a lot of women. Yeah. Um, women who said, oh, you know, things like, why didn't you report this sooner? You need to grow thicker skin, Missy, if you're going to be a state senator. Um, and, you know, saying that significantly worse things have happened to them. And, you know, I'll be the first to say this wasn't even the worst thing that's happened to me. Yeah. Um, and there's a difference, you know, had this happened at a bar, I would, with no hesitation, there would be an elbow to the gut and a get away from me. But this is my workplace. Right. And I had. And a powerful man. And a powerful man. And I had just been elected in a race that nobody thought we could win. Mm -hmm. Um, I represent 280,000 people, 51.9% of whom voted for me. Wow. And. plenty who didn't and my job is is to be here to represent people so it was certainly an uncomfortable experience and I kind of slinked away and laughed it off and went back to my desk mm-hmm. but I didn't want to be the person who showed up in Lansing and immediately was yeah raising a troublemaker right sexual harassment when I'm here to do a job mm-hmm. yeah. so I didn't say something at the time um, I didn't know this person so I didn't know this was a pattern of behavior uh-huh Um, But when I saw an opportunity to support a young woman who went through an experience she shouldn't have to go through at work, and once it was turned around on her, um, you know, I I realize I am also in a powerful position. It's unique working at the Senate because I technically don't work for the Senate. I'm an elected official. I'm independent. The only people who decide whether or not I'm in this job are my voters. Um, So I've got some protection that staffers and journalists and people visiting the Capitol Mm -hmm. don't. So if I could do something to help elevate that and give people um, the ability to report and find their own voice, it was something that that I knew I had to do, even if it doesn't get me reelected. Yeah, and the uh, and let's bring Julie Hines, uh, Detroit Free Press reporter, into this uh, conversation because at the time, Julie, you wrote a very powerful commentary about it. What prompted you to write that, and what was the message you wanted people to hear at that time? Um, I read the story that morning, Allison Donahue's story, the cover, the news stories that came out of that. I had a strong reaction. I went over to discuss it with the Free Press editorial team, uh, Brian Dickerson and Nancy Kaffer, and was, you know, hoping they would weigh in. And they gave me the room to uh, express my feelings about it. And I think what struck me so hard was that women know this code. We grow up with the code. We hear it in school, at work, in our personal lives. What's the code? The code is, I refer back to an old Monty Python skit Mm. where the term wink, wink, nudge, nudge is repeated. Mm. And it's the code of the implication of something inappropriate, something sexual, something diminishing to women. And I think the 
what Allison wrote and the reaction, the initial reaction of Senator Lucido made me think women reading this will understand it, and I strongly suspected that most men reading it would understand it. Mm -hmm. I felt it was unfair to, to the young woman involved. I also felt it was unfair to the young men involved who were mm. uh, these high school boys yeah, witnessing this in front of a powerful man. And how would they respond? Why did they laugh? I don't know. Were they nervous? Were they? Did any of them want to speak out but feel this wasn't appropriate for them to do? So I think that just for me, I wanted to call it out. I didn't know how people would react. I kind of expected like the don't read the comments that there'd be a lot of hateful. Or, or angry blowback maybe at taking this too seriously. And I have to say I was really moved because a lot of women and men contacted me and said, thank you for, for saying this. And I think it was that feeling, well, maybe we're at a point where we don't have to speak out about this or notice it. But no, we have to keep talking about it. We have to keep confronting it and know that language matters. Mm -hmm. Well, and one thing that I want to thank you in uh, particular for, um, Mauro, is your mention of the term gang rape. Because I think um, reading all the articles that I did read about it, I didn't see a lot of people saying that was what the implication was. And that was the implication. He was insinuating that this group of men could take advantage collectively of this young woman. And, you know, have, have some sexual fun with her. Yeah, gang rape. Like, let's say it for what it is, gang rape. Um, and so one thing that I think is really important is, one, a woman's mind immediately goes to that. It's the first thing she thinks of. And, you know, had I been in her situation, my first thought would have been, get out of there. And, and this is a senator. This is not, you know, a high school frat party. This is a senator. And when your thought is to get out of a room with a senator, that guy needs to go. Well, the other thing is uh, that he made a comment. Apparently, one of his defenses was the fact that, he, you know, she just misunderstood him. There's nothing wrong with that. He was just having a little fun. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of weeks before, he had a, had a whole group of high school girls there. And he said to them, hey, how would you like me to bring the, the boys from the Senate over? Well, on that, I will say some of my, my male colleagues in the Senate were offended by that response because they were like, who are the boys in the Senate? Is that us? Yeah. Are you sending the implication that we, the men in the Senate, are, you know, it's not it's not okay. And, and you know, that portion of, of Allison's interaction, she did start recording. Yeah. So she's got a recording of that defense. And, you know, he doubled back and said, oh, I went to Catholic school and I never learned how to talk to a woman until I was adult. I'm like, you're well, you're an adult now. You're an adult now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, you're a nearly 60-year-old man. Yeah. Um, you should learn by now that yeah. this is not okay. Um, well, but I have to give a lot of credit to uh, Senator Jim Ananick, who I serve with, who said, after Allison's story, before my story, in, in no uncertain terms. And this felt different because there were men responding to this as well, and it wasn't just a women's issue. You know, he said this is somebody who has created this caricature of himself that he's a mafioso mob boss ladies man who can be big and bold and brash and that's who he is and that's what his voters love and that that's not okay mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and julie you know as a journalist who your beat is sort of covering sort of what's going on in culture and how that interacts you know with the gender issues uh that are a very big part of culture um, how do you see this in like a bigger context of where we are now? Well, um, it's really interesting to me because just 
with the I'm going to bring up the last, the most recent Democratic debate, because there was a moment, I mean, th this sort of thing about communication and codes comes out in ways that are bigger and smaller. And there was a moment there when um, Senator Elizabeth Warren was questioning Michael Bloomberg on his non-disclosure agreements. Right. I wrote it down because I wanted to get it correct, but he said, none of them accused me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like a joke I told, and the audience groaned. And the thing is that yeah. was that I clicked with right away is it's that they, it's the blaming of the women for not understanding. Awesome, yeah, and it's not the pretty simple, direct, and logical response of, I didn't understand. Well, yeah, I yeah. have no, learned you since misunderstood. Then. And I think that that seeing that come up with someone like, uh, you know, Mayor Bloomberg, who said, I don't tolerate Me Too behavior, I promote and empower women at my company, there is still this divide in terms of, you know, how we communicate and how we acknowledge what we're saying, you know, men to women. And But he also has all these non-disclosure agreements that he will not allow to be opened up publicly. Right. So, you know, what he says publicly and, and what they do you know, and, and I guess that's the thing that I think is incredible is that the audience groaned. Yeah. And, and yeah. to me, that shows we're making some progress. Yeah, and, it's, and, and I do want to clarify, you know, earlier I kind of said don't read the comments. And I want to clarify the difference that overwhelmingly people who know me or who are constituents or who live in southeast Michigan and are aware of me were, were supportive. I mean, every phone call we actually got to our office was very supportive. And, and I was speaking to a lot of women in the following week, particularly women who are older than I am, um, who brought up, Julia, the point that you brought up that, you know, a woman shared with me some of the things that she went through with a colleague who she was very close with, um, who ended up crossing a line. And she said, why is it on us as women to have to educate men on where that line is? Mm -hmm. Why do we have to take that on ourselves? And why can't there be some level of ownership? And it goes back to, you know, the response that, that Senator Lucido gave to Allison of, I'm sorry you were offended, is not, I'm sorry that what I did made you feel uncomfortable. Big difference. And I want to jump in because I think a lot of this is happening now and in the way I admire what younger women are doing and what um, the work done by two really superb journalists, the New York Times writers Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey, because I think their groundbreaking work on the Harvey Weinstein sexual harassment case that had that really sparked a lot of the Me Too movement going so widespread and national. Right. I really think that it has been an education for all of us. I don't know if people would have been in a, as aware of what an NDA is if it hadn't non been. Non-disclosure agreement. Yeah. Yes, if it hadn't been for their work and their dedication to showing that this isn't just one, one powerful movie executive doing this. They unlocked a big cultural problem and they were, I think they were, it's probably fair to say they were both Gen Xers. So as mm -hmm. someone who's definitely late curve baby boomer, I was like, go. I, I, I was right. really admiring of that. Right. And that's that whole piece. And Monica, weigh in here, um, because here I'm the baby boomer. I think you are, well, you're probably tr late baby boomer Gen X. I'm Julie, a millennial. You're, you're, yeah, you're a leading edge millennial. And here's another millennial. And this Allison Donahue is a Gen Z. She's 22 years old, you know, and so, um, you know, I, I guess that that point about um, I think younger women are saying, why have you not spoken up? You know, why did you tolerate this, my older sisters, for so long? And 
I, I guess I would weigh in to say that we didn't have any support. Mm-hmm. If we spoke up at that time, there was no Senator McMorrow to call me up and say, I'm with you, I got your back, or a Julie Hines journalist to write about it, and it wouldn't have gone international. Well, so- and personally, you know, I have faced that situation of like I feel like one of the first reactions you know when you encounter this and it's sad enough to say I'm pretty sure every woman at this point you know in our general age range has experienced this every woman period yeah but like one of the first reactions that I usually have is is it in my head you know, yeah, is, it, am I imagining am this? I is imagining this my this? fault? Am I blowing this out of proportion? And I have made the mistake of reading the comments before. You know, I have made the mistake of going online and, you know, trying to answer the question via strangers. And that was one of the biggest things that I have realized because I've heard strangers tell me you should be in jail for, for you know, hitting that guy who wouldn't take his hands off, you know. You, you know, <laughs> I've been told that before. And then I turned around and I had all of these great friends, a lot of the men who said, no, you should have hit him harder, you know. And so I think that, you know, just kind of overarching idea of don't read the comments is very important. You know, you don't need the approval of strangers to experience what you've experienced, to know what you have gone through. Other people are not going to tell you the way things are supposed to be. You know how it happened and trust your own feelings. But another thing that I think is really important that we've sort of been talking about, um, the the reporter recently who um, some guy came up and smacked her behind on TV during, oh, like, yeah, a, during race. a race. Yeah. yeah, so this guy came out afterward and said, I'm a husband, I'm a loving husband, I'm a loving father. He said all this stuff in his defense. And it's like, why didn't you think about that before you did the thing? You know, Mm -hmm. these people come out afterwards and say, I was raised Catholic. I have all of these ideals. And it's like those ideals are really convenient after the fact. And also that doesn't preclude bad behavior. That was something. It doesn't change what you did. Yeah, there there were a couple of groups that came out in support of Senator Lucido. And that was the argument, right? He's a husband. He's a father. um, He's Catholic. I'm Catholic. Mm -hmm. I'm a wife. You know, (laughs) it doesn't make a difference. You can still be both you know people are nuanced and complex and are capable of not being so black and white and and that's really frustrating for me and you know I want to go kind of back to an earlier point about the generational differences I will say even as somebody who is a millennial um, my attitudes on this have changed over the course of my career interesting Um, in what ways you know I started started in the auto industry and I think particularly for women who find themselves in male-dominated industries we kind of wear it as a badge of honor mm-hmm. and we're willing to forgive bad behavior to be like a guy's girl or one of the guys. And, you know, you're comfortable with jokes and um, there's sort of this attitude that maybe other women haven't gotten as far because they're not as tough as you are. And I held a, um, a panel at the Women's March Convention in Detroit a couple of years ago and it was about women tearing other women down yeah and i expected maybe a couple dozen people to come to this panel and like the fire marshal was called there it was full and i asked at the beginning of the panel how many women have felt torn down by other women before and every single hand in the room went up so i think there's this attitude that i think we have to break down as well where there's sort of this highlander mentality like there can only be one like i'm the woman executive still there we're still there and and it's the idea of like it was hard for me, so it has to be hard for you. You've got to earn your place here. And 
that has really changed for me. And, you know, there's even some articles where I was quoted in years ago where somebody asked me about the glass ceiling. And I think I said, I don't believe it exists. Right. It's like women have all these opportunities and it does. And you see it. And, you know, my my office in Lansing, my Senate office is staffed by all women. And I think I'm the only one who has an all woman staff in Lansing. And many of the women have been in Lansing longer than I have. They've worked for other members before coming to my office. And there's kind of this unwritten list of, you know, don't meet with this lobbyist. This one stuck his hand up my skirt. Don't go to these bars after eight o'clock. Don't wear red because you, and it's, wow, that stuck out for me that it's not okay. And it shouldn't be on us to carry that weight. Cause it's a weight, even if it's just, I don't want to go near this guy. Cause he always puts his hand on my lower back and you just clench mm-hmm. and you shouldn't walk around work. It's a workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah feeling clenched and like you have to keep it in particularly in a place like Lansing or any political climate where it's all about who has power and who has influence and it's all relationship based where if you're in a lower position of power you have no recourse and you don't want to burn the bridge with somebody who chairs a committee Um, and it's it's just it's too much to carry and at the end of the day it is a workplace Mm -hmm. Um, so you know I don't even know that it's generational I just think it's attitudes change with experience. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear you talk about it as a journey because that's exactly how I feel. And I think, you know, I mean, I've lived through so many changes toward women's uh, role in society. I was in sixth grade when Title IX became law, when the Equal Rights Amendment went out for votes. I mean, that's not, that's a long time. That's 40 plus years, but it's not, you know, a century ago even. And when I think about you know the, the the having to enter the workforce wanting to you know get your place uh, you know get ahead what has really been uh, what I've really loved about the last few years is the wide understanding and the encouragement to to let's help each other let's amplify voices let's do things like retweet stories about women journalists because there have been studies that yeah you know women writers don't get retweeted as much as men writers yeah and if I can like help uh, you know talk to a young woman entering the field or see someone else succeed it's like yes and it's that I mean I think that is like that's whole lifelong learning thing that I really appreciate well and um, a lot of the uh, biggest support that I've received in some of these areas have been from my like very valuable men f- male friends who have you know supported me and said like yes get that guy off you you know if you need me to stand behind you I'll stand behind you and stuff like that <laughs> it's part of the unwritten rules of going to the club you need your girlfriend to save you if you need it and um, one conversation that I've actually had a lot with my cousin Kevin Ann's son is these men coming out and saying like well we can't talk to women now Kevin I don't understand I don't understand (laughs) Kevin is very outspoken about well if you feel that way then maybe you shouldn't talk to women my son yeah Yeah. that that is the the whole if you can't figure out how to act professionally in a workplace you do not belong in that workplace if you wouldn't put your hand there on a man then don't do it to a woman it's very simple it's not that confusing. It's right? really not, <laughs> you know. And but Kevin and I have had wonderful conversations about that because he is very like I don't get why men are so confused about this. And you know what? The men that are confused about it, yeah, you shouldn't talk to women because clearly you don't know how to. 
Um, but our conversations here focus a lot on leadership, power, and gender. And I would like to open it up now to each of you um, to kind of give us a little bit of an idea of what has helped you in your life to tap into your own personal power, whether it be to write an important article um, or to, you know, come out in support of another woman about your own experiences. And run for office and as for the, office. the youngest woman, 33 years old, as a state senator. Awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, early on in my career, and I've always been very, very type A, um, I, I think I bought into this idea of creating a personal brand, right? Like you have to promote yourself, especially my career got started because of Facebook, which is the most bizarre thing. So Mazda hosted a competition on Facebook that was effectively like America's next top car designer and it was up for voting. And this was in 2007. So it was one of the first social media activations. And it really was all about making a personality and promoting that and how can you leverage all of these new tools. And it was kind of very individualistic. Um, and that only gets you so far, and it's also very lonely. You know, I think that's how we got what many women face, which is that Highlander mentality of like, I fought my way up here and I did it by myself. And it's unrealistic, and it's not the real way to and build power. And it's self-destructive. It is self-destructive. It is exhausting. I mean, I burnt myself out in my career um, so many times to the, a place that was very unhealthy. Even the way that I look at leadership and power now, it's the people who I admire most as the best leaders are the ones who build up everybody around them. And that's what I try to emulate in my office. Again, politics is strange because, you know, it's my name on the bills, it's my name on everything, and it kind of reflects on me. But it's, it's really how can I elevate the people around me so that they feel good about themselves. And I, that's what I think about leadership now. Julie? Um, in, for me, I've been really lucky to have, um, when I came into writing and working at magazines and newspapers, to have experienced um, women, women who had, you know, been through the process of getting their careers started, who helped me out, gave me advice, were demanding, you know, were tough, said, you, you can do better than this, or you should try this kind of story. And that's invaluable to take someone under your wing and have someone you know, you can go to and say, what do I do in this situation? So I give them all the credit, the people, the women, the, the men and women, but particularly the women helping me navigate a workforce that was mostly male when I entered it. And I got to tell you, another thing that was has been great is getting older can be a wonderfully liberating <laughs> step toward not caring whether you're liked for doing something, if mm -hmm. you know it's the right thing or it's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that is one thing I can say to millennials out there. You know, I think your power is going to increase and your commitment's going to increase because that's that's been my experience and that makes me feel looking forward to the future instead of just worried about it. You know, I have a longtime mantra, which is simply every woman for herself is a losing strategy. Mm -hmm. And once we get that, uh, we can accomplish absolutely anything because we're 51 percent of the, the population and um, we we vote in bigger numbers than men. Sure do. And, uh, and we've got all the credentials and the pipeline absolutely exploding at this point. So I want to thank uh, State Senator Mallory McMorrow. Thank you. For being with us and Detroit Free Press reporter Julie Hines. Uh, thanks for raising your voices. 
uh, on this important issue and continuing to do it. And, you know, I, I just wanted to say this this year is the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage, which, which was a 75-year fight. And let's not forget that it really only gave white women the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, women of color had to fight decades longer for their voting rights. So there's lots of work uh, for women still to do as we stand on the shoulders of those women who fought before us. And uh, I want to paraphrase something you wrote, Julie Hines, in one of your commentaries. You said, the days of wink-wink sexual harassment need to be over. Our daughters deserve so much better, and so do our sons. So thank you. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Monica Doyle. And let's Let's all go go power up. up. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and share us with your network. We'd love to hear from you through Powering Up Women Facebook page or at LDR on Twitter. Remember, power is the currency for getting things done. So claim yours and put it to work. Yeah.